have a lot of things to say. I think there's a lot of reasons that I could give for why I'm a Christian. Uh, but one of the main things that I would say is that I think that Christianity um, is the most honest um, about the world, that it's radically honest about the world. Uh, I'm not sure what you discussed in, in your conversations, but I think we can agree on one thing, uh, which is that the world isn't how it should be. Uh, there are so many things in our world that are broken. There are so many things in our world that need healing. Uh, there are so many things that we look at and we say, that needs to be made whole. And uh, I don't think you have to be religious. I don't think you have to uh, believe in God to, to, to get there, to believe that. I think that's fairly obvious. I think if you just look at the, the daily news, I think you can see that. Uh, but I think what sets Christianity apart is this conviction that what we see as brokenness out there in the world is also in here, is also in here in each and every single one of us and who we are, that we are all deeply broken people who all need healing individually. We all need to be made whole. Um, and the passage that we're about to read tonight, that's what that's about. That, that is what this is about. So in Matthew chapter 8, uh, the passage that we're going to read, um, that's kind of what this passage focuses on. So Matthew 8, 1 through 4, um, the, the text is going to be on the screen behind you. Uh, it's a scene uh, after Jesus has preached this long sermon uh, called the Sermon on the Mount, and then he's interacting with all kinds of people. So Matthew 8, 1 through 4, it says, When Jesus came down from the mountainside, large crowds followed him. The man with leprosy came and knelt before him and said, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man and said, I am willing, be clean. And immediately he was cleansed of his leprosy. And then Jesus said to him, see that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift that Moses commanded as a testimony to them. What I want us to see tonight is that Jesus is a healer and that he is a healer and that he is the only one who can make us whole. We're gonna look at four things. We're gonna look at who Jesus heals, we're going to look at how he heals them. We're going to look at questions that that raises. And then finally, what it means for us. Who Jesus heals, how he heals them, questions it raises, what it means for us. Before I, forget, uh, before I begin, I just want to acknowledge that uh, some of the insights from the sermon came from my, my good friend, uh, Robert Cunningham, who's a, who's a pastor in Virginia. So I'm grateful for him for some of his insights on this passage. So first of all, uh, who Jesus heals. So verse one in this passage tells us, there's a man who came to Jesus who had leprosy. Now, this word leprosy uh, could refer to the actual disease leprosy, but it could also refer to a, a whole variety of infectious skin diseases. Um, and in the first century in the Jewish tradition, if you had an infectious skin disease, uh, you would have been considered what was called ceremonially, ceremonially unclean. And so what that means is you, were, uh, you weren't able to uh, participate. You weren't able to worship at the temple um, because of your skin disease. And so if you had a, a skin disease like this, here's what you would have had to do. Uh, you would have had to change your physical appearance. Uh, you would have had to wear clothes that were torn. You would have had to let your hair become unkempt. You would have had to uh, cover the, the bottom of your face uh, to prevent the disease from uh, transmitting through a cough or a sneeze. You had, to, you had to change your physical appearance so people would know that you had this disease. Uh, you also uh, had to cry out unclean, unclean, uh, anytime that people would get near you or pass by so they, they would know uh, that you had this disease. Um, and they also had to live outside the city. They had to live outside, away from society, so that way the, the disease wouldn't spread. 
Um, now, I know that for us, uh, as modern 21st century people, this can sound kind of archaic or, or maybe even cruel, um, but it wasn't. It was actually absolutely necessary. Um, in, in, a, in an age before modern medicine uh, that didn't have a lot of the antibiotics that we do, um, it was necessary uh, so that the, the infectious skin disease wouldn't spread around the community and that it wouldn't get worse. Um, and so I think, you know, even in an age of modern medicine, I think we can all agree that uh, sometimes it's necessary for people with highly contagious diseases uh, to be quarantined. I think you even see that today. Um, but the point is, imagine what it, what it, what it must have been like. Imagine what life must have been like for this man. Put yourself in his shoes. Physically, uh, he had a terrible skin disease, and he was, he was dealing with the, the pain and the suffering of that. Uh, socially, he was, he was isolated from his family, from his community. Emotionally, he may have been uh, full of shame and contempt over his condition. Uh, spiritually, uh, he, was, you know, he couldn't worship at the temple. He couldn't worship with the people in his community. And so this is why uh, people who had skin diseases, people who were lepers, uh, were some of the most vulnerable people, some of the most vulnerable people in first century society. And you actually see this vulnerability in how he approaches Jesus. In verse 2, it says that there were large crowds around Jesus, and yet this guy comes before him, and he gets down on his knees, and he kneels in front of this large crowd of people. How desperate do you have to be? How desperate do you have to be to get down in front of a large group of people? I mean, can you imagine Bird Stadium is filled up to the brim, and yet you, you come out and you are on your knees pleading for someone to make you better. Can you imagine being that desperate? And yet this man who is so vulnerable, this man who is a social outcast, this man who would have been considered ceremonially unclean, this is the man that Jesus moves towards. This is the man that Jesus pursues. This is the man that Jesus, re- he reaches out and he touches and he heals him. And that is the good news of the Christian faith in a nutshell, that Jesus heals vulnerable, needy, broken people, that he heals those who cannot heal themselves. That is the message of the gospel. That is who Jesus is. So that's who Jesus heals, but let's also look at how he heals So in verse 3, it says that Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man and said, I am willing, be clean. Um, Now, I know it's a short story, but um, if we put ourselves in that moment, we should really feel uh, the drama and the emotion of this moment. Uh, Can you imagine what this would have felt like for this man? Uh, There is a good chance that he had not been physically touched uh, in months or maybe even years or longer, who knows? You know, not even a hug, not even a handshake, not even a fist bump, you know. And yet Jesus reaches out and touches him and gives him something that he has not had in years. That would have been huge for this man. But it would have been amazing. It was also amazing is to see how crazy this was for Jesus. I mean, he's got all these people around him. And can you imagine there's like this suspense in this moment, like Jesus is reaching out his hand and he's like, oh, don't, you know, don't touch him. I mean, if he, if he touches him, he could... He could get this disease, you know. If he gets this disease, Jesus could become ceremonially unclean himself. And so there's this emotion surrounding this scene. And yet, Jesus risked it. He risked becoming unclean. He risked becoming infected. And he reaches out and he touches this man in the exact place where he needs it the most. It's amazing that Jesus meets the vulnerability of of this man. He meets him 
with his own vulnerability. Not only do we see the vulnerability of this man, we see the vulnerability of Jesus to save and to heal and to restore. And then in verse 4, there's kind of this weird uh, line from Jesus that says, See that you don't tell anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer the gift Moses commanded as a testimony to them. That sounds kind of weird to us. You know, what is that about? Uh, well, so the Old Testament law said that if someone was actually healed, if, they, if their skin disease did get better, that they had to go to the priest and make a sacrifice. Uh, so the priest can make a sacrifice as a pronouncement to the whole community uh, that this person was better, they were clean, and now they could enter back into the community. And so Jesus says, go and fulfill this, go and do this, so that you might be part of, uh, be, be part of the community again. And so when Jesus heals this man, he's not just healing him physically, but he heals him in every other way too. It's, it, it's a, he, he heals him socially and spiritually and emotionally and psychologically. He could worship God again in the temple. He could go home and he could hug his wife and kids. And he, could, uh, he was free from the emotional shame of having this disease. He, he no longer had... Um, the, the stigma of being a leper and having to cry out, unclean, unclean. It's a holistic healing. He heals him physically, socially, spiritually. He heals not just his physical needs, but his other needs as well. And this is how Jesus heals because this is why Jesus came. This is why Jesus came to, to declare and to demonstrate the good news of the kingdom of God, that in a sin-sick world, that God is moving towards these people, this world, this place, to heal and to restore, and that that healing power is available to anyone, not just religious people, not just uh, some elite people with wealth and education. No, that the healing power of the kingdom of God is available to everybody freely through faith in Jesus, and that is what Jesus came to do. It's what he came to announce, and what he, it's what he came to demonstrate. So that's how Jesus heals But if we think about this story for a moment, that that raises some questions for us. It raises some questions. The the first question it raises is this, is that is the healing that Jesus brings about, is it mainly physical healing or is it spiritual healing? Is the kingdom of God, is is the mission of God in the world mainly physical or is it spiritual? And I want to talk about this for a minute because it's, it's a little complex. And I think there's a tension here that I want to address because on one hand, uh, as, as Drew um, captured earlier, the, the core message of the gospel is that Jesus has come to save us from our sin. He's the one who, through his death on the cross, has absorbed the wrath of God in our place. He's paid the penalty for our sin. He's brought us into a restored relationship with God through a forgiveness of our sins. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin in the world. And yet, on the other hand, no one could read this story in Matthew 8 or any another number of stories in the New Testament uh, where we see Jesus healing people and caring about their physical needs, uh, no one could read those and conclude that Jesus doesn't also care about our bodies too, about our relationships, about our financial and psychological well-being. And so what I want you to see is that in Jesus Christ, that there is a deep, deep connection between the forgiveness of sins and the healing of the world. Because Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away sin in the world, but he is also the one who is seated on the throne and who says, Behold, I am making all things new. 
And the reason for that is that sin is the underlying symptom for all the brokenness that we see in the world. Physical sickness, disease, violence, social injustice, death. These are all bad things, but none of them are the disease itself. They're all symptoms of the greater disease, which is sin. And Jesus Christ is the healer. He's the great physician who doesn't just treat our symptoms. He comes and he deals with the disease causing our symptoms. And so asking whether Jesus saves us from sin or whether he heals us physically is like saying, going to a doctor and saying, hey, I've got this condition. Uh, Are you going to heal the symptoms? Are you going to heal the disease? Because I've got some different doctors I'm, I'm you know, trying to think about. And are, are you going to heal the symptoms? Are you gonna heal? Like, if a doctor would hear that question, they'd be like, that's ridiculous. Like, my job is to treat both. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to treat the symptoms and I'm going to treat the disease at the same time. And you know, I think one of the ways that we can misunderstand Jesus or maybe even misrepresent him if we're a Christian uh, is to either over-spiritualize Jesus or either under-spiritualize Jesus. So I think some of us might be tempted to under-spiritualize him, to see him as just a good moral teacher, someone who cares about the poor, maybe a social revolutionary, uh, someone who cares about meeting physical needs. And others of us might be tempted to over-spiritualize him, to focus on his spiritual healing, to only focus on the fact that he comes to heal us from sin and neglect all the other stories in the Bible about him healing physical needs. And so, but if we look at the real Jesus, if we look at who Jesus is, if we look at the Jesus of the Bible, Jesus doesn't allow us to, to ask that question. He doesn't allow us to choose between the two because he has said, I have come to proclaim the good news of the kingdom of God, which is that God is healing and restoring all things. And Jesus cares about dealing with our sin. The very reason why he deals with our sin is because he cares so much about our bodies. It's because he cares so much about our relationships and he cares so much about our social problems as well. Secondly, uh, if Jesus is able to heal, uh, why doesn't he always heal? So you might be here and uh, maybe you're not a Christian or maybe you don't believe in God and you might say, you know, this is, this, is why I, uh, this is why I'm not religious. This is why I don't believe in God because it seems like uh, all this is just arbitrary. It just seems like God heals some people and not other people. Like why would God heal this person and not that person? Why did God... Why would God heal this person and not my family member? You know, why doesn't God choose to heal me of this thing right now? Well, I think there's a couple of responses, but the first answer is I don't know. I'm not God. And so I can't give you an explanation for that question. And I think to, to give an explanation to that question would be proud, and I think it would be unloving. And really, as Christians, our response to suffering in the world is not to explain it away. Is not to give an explanation. It is to grieve it. It is to lament it. It is to weep over it. And so if we ask the question, why does God heal here and not heal that? Our response is not to give an explanation, but to simply say, I know it's hard, and to grieve it and to lament over it. But secondly, even though we can't give a reason for that question, at the same time, what we can say is that the kingdom of God is this reality that's inattention. The kingdom of God is this thing that it, we would say is already, but not yet. It's already, but not yet. So in one sense, Jesus, Jesus' healing power is already available in a very real and present way, but it is not yet here fully. We 
await Jesus' final return when his healing of the world will be fully and final complete. We, and we long for that day. It's why the Bible ends with these words, Come, Lord Jesus. That is our prayer. That is our hope because we long for the day when he will come again and heal and renew all things. But what that means for us is that none of us will experience complete healing in this life. Even the man here in Matthew 8 who was healed by Jesus of his skin disease, even he eventually died uh, of some other cause. Uh, But even though the healing process isn't complete in this life, the amazing news of the gospel is that in Jesus Christ, through the power of the Spirit, it can begin and it can start and it can be real and powerful and present in our lives. And it is available to us when we, like this man, say, Lord, I be- Lord, if you are willing, would you make me clean? Would you make me whole? And that kind of healing is, even though it's never ultimate, it's always a foretaste of what's to come. And it's a real foretaste that we can taste. So finally, fourth and last question what does this mean for all of us? What does this mean for all of us? I think it means a couple things. I think it means a lot of things, but here's two. Number one, that healing begins with being vulnerable with Jesus. You know, I think we turn to all kinds of things to heal our inner brokenness. When we look inward and we see what's not right, when we look inward and we try to make sense of what's not whole, I think we turn to things like alcohol. I think we turn to things like pornography Uh, I think we turn to things like perfectionism, like being the perfect student, having the perfect GPA, the perfect resume, being the perfect boyfriend or girlfriend. And these things, listen, they might make us feel good for a moment. They might numb the pain for a moment, but they ultimately don't last. They're they're just super superficial forms of self-medication. It's like, you know, taking, you've you've got a cold or you've got the flu. It's like taking Tylenol, you know? Tylenol makes you feel better. It helps the fever go away. And it helps with the symptoms, but it doesn't help with what's going on underneath. It doesn't deal with a real sickness. It doesn't deal with a real problem. All these things are just like taking Tylenol. They don't actually deal with a real issue. And so we have to keep coming back to these things again and again and again. But real healing happens when we take our brokenness, when we take our shame, or we take our wounds and we bring them to the feet of Jesus. One of my favorite stories that captures this um, is from uh, C.S. Lewis's novel, The Voyage of the Dawn Treader, which is in the, the Chronicles of Narnia series. Um, and in that story, uh, there's one of the main characters is a boy named Eustace Scrub. And I think it's one of my favorite first lines of a book ever. Uh, the first line of the book says, there once lived a boy named Eustace Scrub, and he almost deserved it. And uh, this name used to scrub. He's just like this character that you love to hate. I mean, he's just the worst. Uh, he's incredibly selfish. He's incredibly narcissistic. He always says the wrong thing at the wrong time. He, he's, so, he's rude. You know, you just, you just love to hate this character. Um, and the story goes on. And, and one morning he wakes up and he realizes that he has become a dragon. And he's got this scaly skin on him. And uh, if you've been reading the story, you get the point of it, which is that Eustace becomes uh, what he already was on the inside. He, he becomes the monster that he was on the inside. And, and so he wakes up and he realizes he's got this scaly dragon sin. He's, but he's, he's terrified, of course, you know, and he tries to get it off himself. He tries to get his claws off himself and peel off 
this dragon skin, and he has to work hard at it. But finally, this this layer of dragon skin comes off, and he it, it comes off, and it's on the ground. But then, as soon as it's off his body, another layer of dragon skin comes on, and he he's he's. He done all this hard work, but now there's another layer. And so he, he does the same thing again. He peels it off and he peels it off. And then the same thing happens. Another one shows up. That, scale, that scaly skin was there again. And, and so Eustace says, exactly the same thing happened again. And I thought to myself, however many skins have I got to take off? And the answer for us is a lot. There's a lot of skins that have to come off for us. There's a lot of wounds. There's a lot of shame. There's a lot of pain. There's a lot of skins that have got to come off for us. And we can peel and we can peel and we can peel. But underneath that layer, there's always another layer. You can medicate with alcohol or porn or perfectionism for a while. But eventually you've got to deal with the root issue. Eventually the skin's got to come off. And after Eustace realized that, that he's, he's no longer successful in himself, and taking off his skin, Aslan the lion, the Christ figure, shows up. And Aslan says, you're going to have to let me undress you. And Eustace says, I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you. But I was pretty nearly desperate now. So I just lay flat down on my back and let him do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. Which is the point. To get to the heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. And as Aslan digs in and as he peels off his dragon skin, Eustace is made whole and he becomes himself again. He's renewed and restored. And friends, that is the gospel. That is the message of Christianity, that Jesus is the healer, that he's the only one who can make us whole. The question for you and I is, Will we get down on our knees and will we ask him to peel back the layers? Will we ask him? Will we, will we, will we be vulnerable with Jesus? Will we, will we invite him in and let him do the healing process? So healing begins by being vulnerable with Jesus, but healing continues by being vulnerable with others. I think there's a temptation on a, a college campus like this to just act like everything's okay all the time, to act as if we don't have any needs, that everything's going well. Our classes, our grades are going fine. Our relationships are going fine. Uh, What we do outside of class is going well. To to kind of put up this mirage, to put up this mask as if everything is going okay. And even in a place like this, even in a place like Crew, where we talk about things like sin, where we talk about things like our need for forgiveness, even in here, it could be a place to act as if everything's okay, to act as if we don't have any needs, to believe this lie that it's okay not to be needy. But here's the fact. The reality is, That's the very reason that we're here in the first place. The reason why we're here in the first place is because we are needy, is because we are broken, is because we do need healing, because we're the man in Matthew chapter 8, coming to Jesus on our knees and saying, I need you to make me whole. Imagine what it would look like for crew to have a culture of vulnerability. Imagine if that's what we were known for on campus. Imagine if what we were known for the place where where people could go and and they, they could say, you know, I don't necessarily agree with everything they believe, but you know, that place... You can go there and not be okay. That's the place on campus where it's okay to not be okay. You know, every other place on campus, uh, you've got to act impressive. You've got to put up, 
You know, you've got to act like everything's great to your professors, to your friends, to your coaches, to your sorority sisters, to your fraternity brothers, to your teammates. You've got to act like everything's great. But what if, what if crew was a place where you could come and be radically vulnerable and yet deeply loved and accepted at the same time? What would happen? What would happen if that was the case? I think a lot of things would happen. I, I, think it would, I think it would change us. I think it would change our campus. But here's the thing. Creating that kind of culture, creating that culture of vulnerability, that involves real-time vulnerability. You know, I think a lot of us, a lot of us are good at retrospective vulnerability. Like, yeah, four, four or five months ago, man, I was really struggling with this. But things are better now. You know, a year ago, I, man, I was going through this. This was really hard. But yeah, things are great now. That's retrospective vulnerability. You know what real-time vulnerability, real-time vulnerability is? Real-time vulnerability says, my life is a wreck right now. My life is a mess right now. And here's the, I don't, here's the thing I'm struggling with. I don't even know why I'm struggling with it. I don't even know what's causing it. But I just want someone to know. That's real-time vulnerability. And then, friends, this is what Christian community is supposed to be about. That if you, if you claim to be... A Christian, you're claiming to be united with Jesus in his death and his resurrection. And so what you've done is you've admitted that Jesus' death was necessary for you to be made whole again. It's a place where it should be, we should be the most free. We should be the most uh, open to be, to be vulnerable and to share what's going on. Because we've admitted that the death of Jesus Christ on the cross was, was what had to make us whole in the first place. That should free us. And friends, that, that, Jesus Christ on the cross, is, is the very place where we find the power, where we find the courage, where we find the resources to be vulnerable in the first place, is that when we see God in Jesus Christ being utterly vulnerable for us, when we see him naked and exposed and shamed on the cross, when we see the radical vulnerability that Jesus Christ went through for us, on the cross. Listen, there's no one that's been more vulnerable than Jesus. He came to the earth as a baby. He, was, he suffered. He died. He, was, he died uh, a, a traitor's death. Listen, the, the beauty of the gospel is that Jesus, God of heaven, meets our vulnerability with his vulnerability. He comes down and he makes him, he exposes himself to us. And he says, he moves towards us and he touches us and says, I am willing I will make you clean. And so my challenge to you as, as we close tonight is this. Uh, what does it look like for you uh, to take the next step uh, in vulnerability? What, what does it look like for you to, to be open with Jesus? What does it look like for you to expose your heart to him? What does it look like to expose your heart to other people? What does it look like to be vulnerable with people um, in your community group or with a friend? Uh, I, I, want, I want to challenge you to think tonight about maybe one person. Maybe it's a family member. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's a community group leader. Maybe it's a staff person. Think about one friend that you can just say, you can, you can meet with over the next week and just say, hey, this is how I'm doing. This, this, is, this is what's real. This is what's going on in my life. And what I, what I think this passage gets at is that when we do that, when that happens, Jesus is going to make us whole. And he'll heal us and he'll meet us there. And I think that you'll be, you'll be amazingly surprised at what he does in your life if you do that. I'm going to pray for us. Um, if you've never prayed before, if prayer is something new for you, if you don't, if prayer is a weird thing. Prayer is simply talking to God. 
at simply expressing what we think and feel to him. And so I'm just going to pray for us, and then our worship team is going to come up.